Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another episode. Wendy, you know what I love about being Catholic? Tell me, tell me. 40 days of fasting is not the part I love, but how many days of feasting? Uh, yes, I know this one. I got the Catholic answer for you. Yeah. 50 days of feasting. 50 days of feasting. Here we are in the Easter season, and I hope you are taking the 50 days of feasting just as seriously as the 40 days of fasting, or maybe you didn't take the 40 days of fasting so seriously, uh, but maybe you should have, because then you get to take the 50 days of feasting just as seriously. <laughs> that makes me so happy. The emphasis is on the feasting. I love this quote from the Catechism. It says, the purpose of the liturgical fasts is to prepare us for the liturgical feasts. Mm. If you're not hungry, you're not going to appreciate the feasting, right? But hungry people are the ones who really especially appreciate food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the purpose. It's not that we don't fast because food is bad or the pleasure of eating food is bad. We fast to prepare us for the feast. There's a there's a rhythm here in the Catholic life that I just love. It's, it corresponds to reality. It corresponds to what is true, good, and beautiful. The rhythm of feasting and fasting. Put it this way. If you never fast, then you never really appreciate the feast. If you never fast, you never feast. If you never feast, you never fast. They, they go together. Or we put it this way. If you always fast you never fast. If you always feast, you never feast. You need the counterpoint. You need the rhythm of feasting and fasting to really enter into the full joy. Hmm. And here we are, Easter season. I hope you're all entering into the full joy of it all. Uh, I know the things that I fasted from, gave up during Lent, and I'm so happy that I can feast now. <laughs> How about awesome. you, Wendy? Are you happily feasting? <laughs> feasting is good. <laughs> so here we are. We're getting ready for like a feast of activity in the TOB Institute. Tell us about some of that. Yeah, you are right. Good segue, Wendy. Oh, thanks. I like that one. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of courses coming up this summer live. Uh, and online. Uh, I just listed them in a previous episode, so I won't bore you with that, or maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have something else to talk That's about. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> go, go to the list of courses. Uh, just click the, the link in the show notes and see all the courses that are coming up. But I wanted to share the pilgrimages. We haven't talked about our pilgrimages for a while. We have a pilgrimage to Mexico City, led by my esteemed colleague Jen Settle in June. If you have never gone to Mexico City to see the Tilma and enter into the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I'm telling you, the Tilma reveals the theology of the body in an amazing, astounding way. If you want to just get a little taste of it, just Google Christopher West and Our Lady of Guadalupe or go to YouTube and type that in, you'll find it. 
uh, some talks I've given just explaining the different symbols of the tilma. Astounding. If you really want to dive in, consider going on that pilgrimage in June. We are also, Wendy and I, you and I, my love. That's right. We are leading a pilgrimage in October mm -hmm. together. I can't wait. I've never been on a pilgrimage with you. I know. I don't, not in our whole married life. Not like we've been married. By then we will have been married almost 28 years. Yep. And we have not been on a pilgrimage together. Is that true? We've done little mini local Mini ones. local pilgrimage kind yes. of thing. But we've never like done the full blown deal together. Like a big trip. This is a first. Come join Wendy and me on our pilgrimage to France. We're going to start off in Lourdes. We're going to be taking a river cruise from Paris on the Seine River. We're going to be following in the footsteps of saints like Joan of Arc, Therese, the little flower, uh, her parents, Louis and Zelie. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yep. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be unpacking, especially the teaching of the little flower known as the little way. And we're going to be seeing how the little way is related to the theology of the body and how both illuminate each other. And I know you're thinking, you know, pilgrimages, flights, Europe, all that's expensive. How am I ever going to afford that? I'm not making this up. I've said this to so many people over the years, and the Blessed Mother has come through. So I'm saying, if you're thinking the only obstacle is money, put that intention in the womb of the Blessed Mother and just say, Mary... I give this to you, putting it in your womb where all good things are conceived, where God's will is fulfilled. If it's God's will for you to come on this pilgrimage, the money will show up. I'm not kidding. Like just the last pilgrimage we did, it was like two weeks before we were leaving and someone prayed that prayer and we got a phone call within a few days from somebody saying, I'm not able to go on the pilgrimage myself, but I just had this inspiration to sponsor somebody to go. I, I, I'm not making this up. So... I'm not guaranteeing that that will happen to you. I'm just saying, pray about it. Put it in Mary's hands. Mm. See what happens. Now, I have a question from a patron. This is from Katie. Hi, Katie. First, thank you. It was at my first course that Jesus revealed the gift of a hidden, consecrated vocation in the world. And I'm forever grateful to continue to learn about this gift. Wow. I'm assuming she's saying a, a, a TOB Institute course. Yes. Is that mm -hmm. your sense of it? Yeah. Wow, Katie, that's awesome. However, even in responding to this call and in giving Jesus all of me forever, including my body, I still fail to see my body as a gift. It's more like it's stuck with me and just gets in the way even though the bridegroom chose me. Mm. Prayer, therapy, and spiritual direction have helped, but I still can't see the goodness in my body. I see only its defects. Any advice? Katie, I'm just lifting you up in prayer as I'm hearing your question. And this is what I see. I don't know what it means, um, and I don't claim that I have some you know, magical, mystical insight here, but mm. as I'm praying for you, I'm seeing you as a little girl. You're kneeling and you're praying, and there's a, a candle lit in front of you. Um, and I'm trying, just as I'm sharing what I'm seeing, to maybe read into these symbols. What might it mean? Ah, I think I, oh, okay. It's kind of unfolding just as I'm saying it. Ah, okay. I think, okay, okay. 
this is weird how prayer works. I you, you see stuff and you're like, I don't know what that means. And then it's like, boom, there it is. Okay, here's what I see. Here's what I see. Glory be to God. Mm. I see you kneeling before this candlelight. Uh, it's like a lamp. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a flame and it's a lamp. It's like a, you know, in one of those, those old kerosene lamps or something. Mm -hmm. And the scripture that just came to mind, which, you know, I'm not, it's like, it's so amazing how these things can unfold. But the scripture that comes to mind is bring your body and every part of it into the light and make no, make sure no part of your body remains in darkness, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say, if your whole body remains in the light, then your body will illuminate you like the brightness of a burning lamp. Uh, that's maybe a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's definitely the, the gist of, I believe it's Luke chapter 11. Look that scripture up about bringing your body and every part of it into the light, making sure no part of your body remains in darkness. And if we come into the light with our bodies, with every part of our body, our bodies will illuminate us like the brightness of a burning lamp. That's my sense of that image, uh, that it's leading you right to that scripture and that invitation of Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that somewhere in your childhood, somewhere along the way of your journey, that certain parts of your body were in the shadows, were in the darkness, were, were, was confusing. There are probably some painful memories there. We all have these painful memories. Um, we live in, in a world that is so confused. It either doesn't know how to talk about our bodies and so there's a void and a nothingness, or we talk about the body in a crass, crude, degrading way. Either way, our hearts need to understand the goodness and dignity and meaning of our bodies. It's either starved or it's poisoned, right? It's starved by the taboos that say we don't talk about that, or it's poisoned by talking about it in a crude a pornographic kind of, of way. And either way, if we've been starved or we've been poisoned or some combination of both, we're in need of deep healing. And I believe that's precisely the healing Jesus is inviting us to when he mm. says, make sure to bring your whole body into the light. Mm. But Katie, here's another very important ingredient in this equation or in this invitation follow the lead of Christ your bridegroom. We, we, the light that we come into is Christ himself, right? Uh, when, when Jesus says, come into the light, he's saying, come into my presence. Come into the presence of the God who made you so that I can illuminate for you the true meaning, the true dignity, the true beauty, the true goodness the true sacredness of your body. And you might do something like this. This is an exercise that I put out to my students. And maybe, maybe you were in the class when I did this. But I'll often say to my students, start at the top of your, your body. Start with your hair. And just ask the question, do I love my hair? 
and then go down from there. Do I love my forehead? Do I love my eyebrows? Do I love my eyes? Do I love my nose? Do I love my mouth? Do I love my lip? Do I lips? Do I love my tongue? Do I love my cheeks? Do I love my neck? Do I love my shoulders? Do I love my chest? Do I love my breasts? Do I love my arms, my forearms, my hands, my fingers, my fingernails, my my belly? Do I love, I'm speaking here on behalf of a woman, do I love my womb? Do I love the gates to my womb? Do I love my thighs? Do I love my buttocks? Do I love my knees? Do I love my, my shins? Do I love my calves? Do I love my feet? Do I love my toes? If you go through that list, inevitably the difficult places will come up. The, I don't love that so much. And when that comes up, say, Lord, show me how you see my hair. Show me how you see my shoulders. Show me how you see my breasts. Show me how you see my womb. Show me how you see the gates to my womb. Scriptures that come to mind, and this is, this is not a stretch. This is really and truly a proper reading of the temple language of the scriptures. Right? The temple is a feminine mystery. The temple is the dwelling place of the Lord. And this is fully revealed in Mary's body. Mary is the living temple. Her body became the dwelling place of the Lord. Her womb became the Holy of Holies. When we understand that temple imagery and how it's connected to the mystery of the feminine body, we can look at those scriptures that talk about the beauty of the gates to the temple. Right? These are the gates of the Lord. These are holy gates. The gates of the temple have been opened. The gates are holy. The eastern gate is open, and it is beautiful. And the glory of the Lord flows through the gates of the temple and flows into the gates of the temple. All of this temple imagery can rightly and properly, in a sacred, holy, beautiful manner, be applied to the dignity of the body, and in a particular way, the feminine body. I invite you there, Katie. Let the Lord lead you through a meditation on the holiness of the temple that is your body. It is His dwelling place. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. Katie, let that scripture sink in. How lovely is your... Speak it to your own body. Let the Lord speak it to to your body and over your body. How lovely Mm -hmm. is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. I'm just sitting with that beautiful prayer. It's very, very powerful, very powerful for all of us, all of our listeners. We, We need to pause here and just take that that in the loveliness of the Lord's dwelling place, mm. the treasure that we are by being the Lord's dwelling place. I am also just wanting to add that um, it can be a, a healing experience for our sense of our own bodies to care for others' bodies. Um, and I I think that is is really linked to this when you say how lovely is your dwelling place and we reflect on our own bodies. We can also recognize in everybody a loveliness of the Lord's dwelling place. And images of the work of the missionaries of charity that Mother Teresa founded come to my mind in that reverencing, um, you know, 
even very um, broken and sickly bodies with a genuine love for the Lord. Um, if there's some way that you, Katie, can add a new way of ministering to others bodily into your life mm. to kind of take, to allow the Lord to reveal his love through you experiencing your giving the gift of your body to others. When you, you know, as a consecrated person, there could be maybe a feeling that somehow you're supposed to only, I don't know, relate with the Lord in kind of this super private way. And yet the Lord's consecrating you to, to live in this world and to love his body in this world. So in whatever way, if that lands, if a door opens for you to be in somehow in service to others, giving the gift of yourself by caring for others in some way, I, I feel like that could also be a path for recognizing your body as gift. I'll just add that the, the church has a term for that, the corporal works of mercy. Right. Mm -hmm. We're all called to the corporal yeah. works of mercy. Bodily. Katie, I, I, I just want to add one more thought that there's a battle involved here, right? The, the enemy is hell-bent on preventing us from understanding the goodness and sacredness of our bodies. This is where the war is. This is where the spiritual battle takes place. And I just invite you to to be aware of that, not to be scared of it. Uh, the Lord has crushed his head, right? Done. But we need to just be aware there is a fierce spiritual battle to fight here and to put on the armor of God, as St. Paul says. And interestingly enough, I've said this many times on the podcast, the very first piece of armor to put on, according to St. Paul, is to gird our loins with the truth, right? Gird our loins with the truth. And that's all that we've been unfolding here about bringing your body and every part of it into the light, into the presence of the Lord. That's how we gird our loins with the truth. Bless you, dear Katie. Mm. We are lifting you up in those tender places. And I have expectant faith, Katie, that the Lord's going to take you on a glorious journey into the light, and your body will illuminate you mm. with the brightness of the lamp that is the Lord. Amen. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Do you know of any faithful Catholics who send their kids to public school? My wife and I are discussing homeschooling and private school options now, and we want to keep them in public school, but aren't sure if that is morally okay or even if that is good parenting. Uh, I know some parents who are striving to be good Catholic parents who sent their kids to public school, and that would be you and I. Yeah. Did I say, is it you and me? I know. That would be I. Ah, right? You got it. Grammar. Got it. That would be you and I. Yes, we sent our kids to public school, not the whole time, and not all of them, but our younger two, we sent to public school from, from what, kindergarten through... One went up to third grade, mm -hmm. right? Isaac went up to third grade. Mm -hmm. And then we sent our two oldest boys to public high school. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I don't think one can say across the board, obviously, I don't believe this or we wouldn't have done it. You can't say across the board, sending your children to public school is wrong. Uh, that's just not true. Um, there are many, many concerns that one needs to be aware of. And there are a lot of public schools in this country that I would never send my kids to, and not in a million years. Um, so it's, it's, it's not an absolute moral evil, uh, but in our world today, yeah, it's, it's highly problematic. And if you can find an option other than that, uh, especially if your area, the public schools are just pushing the whole woke agenda, yeah, look for an alternative. That, that's my immediate advice. Wendy, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I think that it, we need to keep in mind that um, passing on faith to our children and protecting them from just kind of being brainwashed by lies in our culture is going to require a lot of effort from parents, a commitment Absolutely. of time to relating with them, to um, sharing the vision, um, the reason for many things that they experience and see in this world, to understand the fallenness of the world, the power of redemption, just those kinds of truths in practical ways in their experience as they are making sense of the world, which is part of what education is about, um, is going to require a lot of effort on our parts. That is true whether they are going to a school or whether they are homeschooled. It's in either case, it is a, a demanding thing. And there can be all kinds of circumstances, including circumstances that we experience that um, would cause you to choose one or the other. We have done homeschooling in various ways, and we have done public school. We've never sent kids to private school, and that's just how it has worked out for, you know, where we live and what is nearby. A positive for us about public school was that it, they were very close to home, and it facilitated us having time with them um, when the work of the actual education was, because of our circumstances, kind of too much at that point that they were in public school because we could respond with a, more time at home because they didn't travel far away. Um, so that, that could be a positive that you experience. I want to share with you that um, I, I really encourage you to look into uh, something called the Person and Identity Project. You can just Google that, the person and I, or do a search for that, the person and identity project, because they have a lot of resources for parents and for schools and for teachers, but about um, ways to protect um, our children in this world, including woke agenda kinds of teaching. So I, I don't want to spell that out too much. I just want to encourage you to look into it and also to look at um, Rua Woods, uh, that's spelled R-U-A-H, Rua, and then the word Woods Curriculum for Theology of the Body. That's something that even if you're not homeschooling, you can so naturally and easily incorporate into your children's lives through 
just even bedtime stories that are really geared toward um, just reaching children's hearts at different stages. So um, those are two resources I want to mention to you if you do choose to um, continue in public school. Our next question is from a listener named Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Lately, this same question comes to my mind, and I would like to know your opinion. I'm a person who finds it hard to say, I love you to the people around me, mm. to my parents, my siblings, my friends. I do things for them because I love them, but those words just don't come out. Sometimes I wonder if when people say I love you to someone, it is out of habit, or are they aware of the meaning of those words? Loving someone means that you want the good of that person. You don't want to use them in a selfish way. So when you tell someone I love you, you're saying I want your good and I don't want to use you. Am I right? Sometimes I think I should say those words more often so that the people I love know that I love them, but it's hard for me. I don't know if it's because I'm embarrassed or because I don't want to show myself vulnerably. Ooh. What do you think? Should I try to say it more? What do you think or feel when you say I love you to someone? Wow, Deborah, I want to say I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Deborah. You're beautiful. I love that you even are able to articulate this question. I love that you are aware of the movements of your heart to this extent that you're able to, to put this in words and put it out there and make yourself vulnerable. Deborah, I love you. It's beautiful. Um, are you getting it right? I want to answer that question first about what love is and that when you say I love you to someone, you're saying I desire your good. I don't want to use you. Absolutely. You're spot on. That's the very essence of love. And it's not only to desire the good of another, that's the beginning of love, but to work for it, right? To, to sacrifice yourself for it. That's putting love in action, right? To work for the good of the other, even if it costs me. And it seems that you understand this and that you said you you do these acts of service for other for others. You are working towards the good of others, but you stumble when it comes to putting it in words. I have I have reflected on this, and I've reflected on the different ways we kind of soften the words I love you. Right? Those words, as you acknowledge, Deborah, they, they make you vulnerable. To say those three words, I love you, that makes you vulnerable. And we, we can kind of cut the corners a little bit. We can kind of soften the blow. We can kind of soften the vulnerability. Uh, we know there's a difference when somebody says, I love you, and when somebody says, love you, or love you. Right there, there, there's, there's. Uh, I want to say something, but I'm not sure. I want to say I love you. I'm gonna change it a little bit, mix it up a little bit, uh, give a little different flavor to it. And and those, I find those interesting. Right. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong to say love you or love you, but it's worth reflecting. What, what, why are we saying that, that rather than I love you? And I really believe part of it, oftentimes, maybe not always, part of it is those three words said plainly without 
you know, softening it, whoo, that's vulnerable. That puts us out there. That, that, that's a commitment. That's a scary. So I would imagine some measure of that is going on in your heart here, Deborah. And I just invite you, just as you were so open and vulnerable in putting this in a question to us, put it in a question to the Lord, the Lord who loves you. Write it out in a journal, just as you wrote it out to us, and say, Lord, I'm putting this out in the light to you. Show me what's going on. And quiet your heart. You know, make sure you're in a place where you can close the door and not be interrupted and quiet your heart and, and just listen. Put that out to the Lord and listen. Listening prayer is so powerful. We have to train our ears really to hear the Lord, and that can be difficult, but maybe as you go to listen, maybe you hear a song. Maybe you have a memory from childhood. Maybe you see a scene from a movie or a TV show, or you remember a poem, or just pay attention to what's moving in your heart. It's very clear to me, Deborah, that you are attentive to the movements of your heart. And that's a key to real deep listening prayer. You're on it, girl. Just keep going. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I love all of this question, just as you did. And I love how you started with telling Deborah that you love her. I love you too, Deborah. And I, I think there's an element of the words, I love you. I just want to add to what you said, which is a taking delight in the unique gift of a person. Mm, That's mm. also part of I Absolutely. love you. And, and it kind of distinguishes when we are able to say those words in, in different relationships, sometimes that element of appreciation of the unique light that a certain person brings into our lives that um, is is a kind of a deeper aspect of love that we experience in closer relationships that is also important to know that that's also being communicated and perhaps is also what we long for sometimes is to to be recognized and appreciated and kind of delighted in in hearing mm. those words. Amen, we do. Yes, um, we do. And so with that in mind, as you're talking about this time of prayer, I, I feel like the Lord is inviting you to talk to Him and tell Him, I love you mm. a lot. Mm. To spend time telling the Lord that and experience that, those words in talking to the Lord, yes, we do desire the Lord's good. And in the sense of maybe in his um, seed bearing fruit in the world and him being known in his grace being received in the world, that's a desire of the Lord's good. And that I don't want to use you, Lord. Like that's that's a beautiful thing to incorporate into our prayer, to realize we want to love the Lord for his own sake, he loves us for our own sake, and trust that we don't have to get a certain thing from him in mm -hmm. order to really just trust in his goodness that he knows what's good for us. And so, so those elements, but also the delighting in, and if we can bring all of that into our relationship with him, it can just awaken the place in our hearts that is most true, most deep, most real, 
And um, I think that's where it begins, is that love relationship with the Lord. That um, That's just what I'm sensing. Well, here's what I'm sensing. I'm sensing that I love you, Wendy. Like, in the way you answered that question, I was living what you were just saying. <laughs> like, not only do I desire your good, but I, I really delight in you. Thank you, my love. Wendy. And also, as I say that to you, I, I recognize another part of an answer to this question is to also just acknowledge there's so many different meanings to that word love. Mm. Right? I started off by saying to Deborah, I love you. But that has a different meaning than when I say it to you, Wendy. I, right. I love you, Wendy. Uh, there are overlaps there, but there's a unique love that I have for you as my wife. Um, and I think that's also a big problem in the English language, mm -hmm. that this one word, love, that we use for so many different things. Sure. I love pizza. Uh, I love you. Hey, I love pizza too. <laughs> you want to go out for pizza sometime? Yeah, together. Okay, yes. In fact, that was our very first date. Loved it. We went out for pizza. <laughs> March 26, 1995. It's true. It was a special day. Uh, what was I saying? <laughs> love. Love. There's just so many different word, different meanings to the word love. And because there's ambiguity there, that can paint uh, maybe a, a nervousness or, or concern about using the word. What, what, what kind of love do you mean? Right? Um, so I don't know, just another thing to add to the mix and Maybe it's illuminating. Maybe it's not. I hope it is. And I hope this whole episode has been illuminating. If it was, can I encourage you to push that share button? Mm, yes. We want to continue to grow this global family of men and women who are learning the good news of the theology of the body. If you've been blessed by it, one way to share the blessing is to share the podcast. So click, click that share button. And keep the questions coming. We're so grateful to all of you for the questions that you are submitting. We know we can't get to all of them, but we, we do our best to get to as many as possible. So thank you for continuing the questions. And if you are a patron, don't forget, you can submit your question on the patron website. That puts you into a smaller pool and a more probable chance that we will answer your question because we always, as our faithful listeners know, we always begin our podcast with a question from a patron. If you are not a patron, maybe now is the time, if you're feeling that Holy Spirit nudge, to support the work that we do here at the TOB Institute. We ask just for $10 a month as a starting point to help us out with uh, running our ministry. We have 13 people on staff and we're at a critical point of needing to grow our staff, but we are not financially able right now. If we get enough patrons to help us out, we can grow our staff and continue to spread this beautiful teaching. So yeah. prayerfully consider that. Yes. Till next time, everybody, you know how we sign this off, but I'm going to toss it to Wendy. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. And what do I say now? <laughs> Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute.
with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.